I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, being a familiar passage to us, and that is of the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. What we're going to be learning today, the title of the message is The Forbidden Chapter. The Forbidden Chapter. So there is a, uh, it's very interesting seeing this. This has been a uh, interesting week in just in studying for this. God has really worked in, in my life, I'll be honest with you, in studying this. And the question is, I've, I was asking this question as I was preparing, and I said, Lord, I would say, God, preach to me before I preach to others. I need my toes stepped on. I need to be challenged. I need to grow in the Word. And uh, the Lord really challenged me with Isaiah 53, starting in verse 1, Who hath believed our report? We're going to be looking at these verses today. Uh, and actually, for the next several weeks, we're going to be doing a series on Isaiah 53, and which is a very uh, powerful passage. And I believe this is a chapter that will change your life. This is a chapter that will change your life. And we're going to begin, we'll begin reading on the traditional Isaiah 53 part. We'll expand upon it a little bit later here. But beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is a despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faith in him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many. He shall bear their iniquity. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide his spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many. They made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53. This chapter will change your life. Today we're going to be really doing kind of a, an introduction, if you will, of Isaiah 53. And the importance of it, that we should definitely be aware of it. Uh, I think a lot of Christians really are not that familiar with several parts of the Old Testament. But I pray if there's one part that they are at least have heard or somewhat familiar with, it would be Isaiah 53. I hope so. But we're reminded in Romans 10, verse 17, it says, For, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. God's word can change your life. It changes the lives of Jewish people as well. We 
on, on Wednesday nights, we began last Wednesday uh, a study on who is the Jew. We talked about being them ethnic, ethnically of the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And specifically from the tribe of uh, from Jacob, he had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Jewish people today are descendants of those tribes. So with that in mind, God has blessed the Jewish people. You know, the Jewish people have given us two great things of eternal value. The Word of God and the God of the Word, the Messiah, Jesus. For that we should be eternally grateful. For that we should say thank you. And what's interesting is this. God's Word changes lives, not just of the Jewish people, but also of Gentiles as well, those that turn to Him. Praise, him, uh, praise the Lord. But God's Word has stood the test of time. But in, in looking at that, a few years ago, there was a survey that was conducted in Israel of how many Israelis had a Bible in their home, the, the Tanakh, the, what we refer to as the Old Testament. And it was reported back a few years ago that 95% of Israeli Jews have a Bible in their homes, with most of them, about 62%, regarding it as sacred or a holy book. In light of this, many Israelis and Jewish people, though, do not understand uh, that the person of Jesus in the New Testament fills the prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. However, whenever I hear the testimony of a Jewish believer who has come to faith in, in Messiah, I'm amazed to see that the majority of the testimonies that I hear of Jewish people were they were saved as a result of their personal study in the Scriptures, comparing the Old and New Testaments as well. One of the key passages when, when talking with the Jewish people and pointing them to the Messiah is this very passage we just read, Isaiah 53. We look at it today and we look at, wow, that's, you read through that, man, that's a description of Jesus. Plain and simple, case closed, right? And we're going to find out through the next few weeks that for some, for some of our Jewish friends, it's not quite that simple. There's a lot of barriers in that way, and we're going to discuss a little bit of that even today. But I pray that God's Word would open their hearts to see who Jesus really is, and they would come to trust Him as their Messiah. I believe that Isaiah 53 is probably perhaps the clearest description of the Messiah in the Hebrew Bible, in the, in the Old Testament. The great hope of the Hebrew Bible is the Messiah. It's a narrative. It's a story. It's God's story of, re, of bringing someone, a prophet, like unto Moses. And here we have, see, there was a deliverance. There was an exodus from Egypt. And now we see in Isaiah 53, and actually from chapter 40 to chapter 55 out of Isaiah, that there is also another deliverance, another exodus, if you will. Uh, and that exodus is something greater than the upcoming captivities from Babylon and Persia. That's a, it's a greater deliverance from the time of the Romans. Of course, the Jewish people weren't really delivered from that. But nonetheless, the Jewish people were delivered, and the world was delivered for something even greater, and that was our sin. And that was for, for, through Jesus Christ. But here's the point of the matter, is if we get the Bible into people's hands, that they can read for themselves who Jesus Christ is, and see the Scripture in plainly as it is, as it describes. I like what Dr. Jacob Gardenhouse, who founded International Board of Jewish Missions, he said this, if God could perform a miracle in my life, he can do the same in every Jew if they had the chance to hear the gospel explained to them. You see, God's word does not return void. It changes lives. And we're going to see, I'm going to give you three different stories today as we look at the scripture here today, exactly how this, again, this is just introduction. And so one thing I want us to understand too, when we look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53 Isaiah 53, in this particular passage, actually begins, believe it or not, in Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13. Isaiah 
52 to 13, all the way to the end of Isaiah 53. And that is what we know as the fourth of the servant songs. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But I want to give you kind of a story, kind of illustrating this, the power of God's word as it applies, as is sharing the gospel, who the Messiah truly is. Years ago when we lived overseas in Israel with Project Nehemiah, our humanitarian aid organization, uh, we uh, worked with a lot of Israeli companies in providing uh, our food and blankets and other materials that we needed. And uh, was, uh, one of our, the deliveries, it came about every month uh, to us. We got to know him quite well. His name was Shlomo, Shlomo or Solomon. You would know it better as Solomon, but Shlomo. Shlomo is a good friend of mine. One day, after, as he was doing, he was kind of one of those managers. He, he and another guy came, he would always come. He was the manager, so he would come and drink coffee while the other guy did the work. You know, maybe you work with someone like that, okay? <laughs> but that was Shlomo. But anyways, as the work was going on, Shlomo, he asked me this question. Said he noticed there was something different about me and the, our, our staff. And he asked me, well, what makes you different than the other Christian groups, denominations? You see, most Jewish people, when they think of a Christian, they think Catholic Orthodox. That's, that's their view. That's the world's, world, uh, the, the world view that they have. Okay? If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. If you're Gentile, you're a Christian. And if you're a Christian, that means you're Catholic Orthodox. That's, that's how they see the world in, in that regard. Okay? So nonetheless... He asked, what makes you different from these other groups? So I, I explained to him that we believe and we practice what the Bible says, including what's written in the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament. And then also the Burit Hadashah, which is the New Testament, the New Covenant as well. And I said, both of these books that form the Bible point to Jesus as the Messiah. Okay, that got him thinking. Shlomo then asked me this question. Where is Jesus mentioned in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament? I have here in my hands, this is... The, the Hebrew Bible, the, what we refer to as the Old Testament, it's the Tanakh, which is the Torah, the law, the Ketuvim, and the Nevi'im, which is the writings of the prophets, okay? These are the three sections that we commonly call the Old Testament, okay? But nonetheless, this is very important. If I have, I'm going to ask you this question here. If you could show someone who Jesus is, and share the plan of salvation, the gospel, with them by only using the Old Testament. Could you do it? That's a challenge. It's really a challenge for most Christians. Because why? We're really not familiar with the Old Testament very much. Okay? But the gospel is clearly there. It's clearly there. And we're going to kind of see that through the next few weeks, especially pointing to Isaiah 53. So I said, yes, it's mentioned in the Tanakh. Jesus is mentioned there. And he said, Where? I opened up in the Hebrew Bible to him. We were speaking in Hebrew, and I opened up to Isaiah 53. Now, keep in mind, most Jewish people have never read this passage we just read now. Most people have never really read it. Uh, in fact, many rabbis discouraged that. And I said, yeah, I said, Shlomo, yeah, you're, most rabbis don't want you to read this. And he said, what? What rabbi wouldn't want me to read the Bible? That's what he said, okay? So he sat down, and he read Isaiah 53. I think he read it through twice. He sat there, and I just let him be, drinking his coffee, and let him be, and he read it for several minutes. He rose to his feet, and he shook his head in amazement. He says, I've got to tell my rabbi about this. <laughs> and I say, good, he needs to hear it too. So <laughs> but even though Shlomo, to my knowledge, has not yet come to know the Lord, God's word impacted his life at that moment, Isaiah 53. Again, as Dr. Gardenhouse has said, if God could perform a miracle in my life as a Jewish believer, he can do the same in every Jew if they had a chance to hear the gospel explained to them. So, I've got to ask you this question. I just mentioned a moment ago that Isaiah 53 is, in a way, the forbidden chapter. 
What do we mean by that exactly? Now, would a rabbi say you're not allowed to read it? There's probably a, a few rabbis that would actually say that. You do not read this. I've heard of stories where it was either even cut out of, of their Bible, put duct tape over it, that passage, just to avoid it. And you can kind of see why. Because Jewish people, Jesus is the Gentile God. The New Testament, that's the Gentile book. Okay? And so what we're going to kind of see again is why is this chapter forbidden? Why do some rabbis do it? Or why do they discourage the reading of it? You see here, if you go to in religious Judaism today, Jewish people, if they, if they do attend synagogue, which is a, a minority, it's a small group actually that do this, but if you go to the synagogue, you will read throughout the week, you will read portions of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. There is a Torah portion that's read. Depending where you are in the, the world, Jewish world, uh, it might be slightly different. For example, the Sephardics, they read through the Torah in three years, whereas the Ashkenazi read through in one year. But nonetheless, so you read on this Torah cycle. You read through the first five books of the Bible through the year. So you, it's usually in October when you begin and end. So you go through that cycle. And then after you read the portion of the Torah the Old Testament, then you will read a portion of what is called the Haftorah. The Haftorah would be a part of the, uh, the prophets, for example. Uh, you also can do daily prayers of the Psalms. There's different prayer books to help you with that. And so there's different parts that are read. So, when, so what happens is this. When they read the part of the Torah uh, from the synagogue, and then the Haftorah is read, the part of the prophets, they read through specific passages that kind of correspond with the Torah portion. Okay, they kind of line up. But here's the thing, at least this has been more recently, well, probably the past couple centuries, the tradition has been that what they do is they stop in Isaiah, when they get to Isaiah, they stop in chapter 52, verse 12. And then the next week, they pick it up in Isaiah 54. So intentionally, ignorantly, whatever you want to call it, Isaiah 53 is not read in the synagogues today. So most Jewish people, unless they are an actual student, maybe in yeshiva, even there, I kind of doubt it, but they will, most Jewish people have never read or never heard of Isaiah 53 or what it, the message it says. They, they don't know. They just don't know, simply because it's not there. Now, was that done on purpose? It's hard to say, but nonetheless, regardless of that, Isaiah 53 is not read in the synagogues or amongst Jewish people today. Another key part of this uh, happened, especially back during the Middle Ages. Uh, around the, the 12th century. Uh, there was a change in interpretation of the text as well. This is another reason why Jewish people are not as familiar or not familiar with the message of it. Because when, uh, understand this, the Jewish people have been largely persecuted through the years. Back in, in uh, 1099 or 1090, 96, and that, that was the beginning of what was called the First Crusade. And then for the next 200 years, Christian Europe basically went, tried to go back to the Holy Land, tried to take over the Christian sites or, from, or the holy sites from Muslim hands. But on the way, many Jewish people were persecuted. Many were killed. Many small, or a lot of towns, the Jewish people were either forced to convert to Christianity, usually by the, the sword in doing that, or some were just killed outright if they refused. So Jewish people suffered greatly, especially during this time. There arose a, a famous rabbi. His name was Rabbi uh, Isaac Shlomo, or, uh, Shlomo ben Isaac. He is known better as Rashi. Rashi, he, out of Jesus, except from Jesus Christ, he is the best known rabbi in the Jewish world. You've got Jesus, and then there's Rashi. I mean, it's like on that level. He wrote a commentary on the Bible, 
uh, in, on the Hebrew Bible, also written on the Talmud, the Mishnah, there's many other things that he wrote. But when he came to writing concerning the, what we refer to as Messianic prophecies, because of what was going on in his world at that time, Jewish people were being persecuted. And they were kind of like trying to shore up and defend themselves, at least ideologically, okay? What they believe. And so they said, we got to somehow refute the Christian interpretation. You got to remember that's more of a Catholic Orthodox tradition. Nonetheless, that's what they faced. And so when it came to different prophecies like Isaiah 53, this can't be about Jesus. Why? We can't give them any inch, the, the Christians. And you've got to sympathize with them, to be honest with you, because this was literally on the pain of death that they had to do this. Nonetheless, Rashi, he looked at this passage here, and he said, well, who is this one who has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows? Who is this one who is wounded for our transgressions, bruised for iniquities? Who was this that was despised and rejected of men? And he, that's none, and he said, that's none other, none other than the, the Israel. That's the nation of Israel. That was his interpretation of it. And we're going to actually kind of look at that argument a couple times in the next few weeks about why they believe that and also why I believe that this is referring to an individual, the Messiah, okay? And that Messiah is Jesus. One thing I want us to challenge us, and when we look at the scriptures even now, is this. A lot of times what we do is we read Jesus back into the Old Testament. What I want us to do is we're going to be learning how to look at the Old Testament, how it uses the Old Testament, and showing us who Jesus really is, that Jesus is the fulfillment, but not simply plugging it in. We don't want, we're going to do exegesis, not extra Jesus. Okay, that's the difference. We're not going to put Jesus where he's not. Okay, we're going to, be, we're going to go through this carefully. This is probably a little bit different than our Sunday morning. We're going to kind of dig a little bit deeper. We'll come up for air once in a while, I promise, okay? <laughs> but this is kind of an introduction. Understand that when you face, when you actually talk to a religious Jew, they're going to give you a very different interpretation of this text. And just saying that this is Jesus, that's not going to do it in the conversation. You're going to have to work through some issues. Okay, this is kind of an apologetics course of what we're doing. So with that in mind, why, why was the change? Or there was a change, like I said, partly because of persecution, that they did it to defend themselves. Some thought the suffering servant was the nation of Israel itself. Some interpret uh, this as the suffering servant was the prophet Isaiah himself. Okay? Uh, could be himself mentioning this. And then there's a third uh, argument as well, that this interpretation is the suffering servant being the Messiah. Okay? And the Messiah. But the question is this, if it's the Messiah, why did he do this? Why did he suffer? Why, was he, why did he care our transgressions from us? There is another reason too, and that's, that's um, again, the critical response against the Christian interpretation of the text. Again, this is a polemic. This is a going against what the Christians are saying. The Jews say this, Christians say this. You're going to have that discussion, okay? And then also we see that there's also cultural and traditional reasons that stand in the way of reading the text. For example, I mentioned ago, if you talk to a Jewish person, you talk about, well, what do you think about the New Testament? They would say, well, that's the Gentile Bible. Jesus is Gentile God. Let me give you a little story. I have a friend who is now passed away. He passed away from COVID a few years ago. His name was Harry, Harry Lakow. He used to come, Jewish man. He was such a good Jewish man, he loved a ham sandwich, okay? That was the type of guy he was. All right. He would come over to my office down in Tennessee. He would come over probably at least a couple times a week. He'd always piddle around there. He, 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 we enjoyed having him around. Here he, he, he was a good guy. Uh, a little different, but that's okay. We loved him. Uh, we were sitting down, and to this day, I have no idea if he truly accepted the Lord as his Savior. 
We had several conversations, several people had witnessed to him and all that. And so we were talking at lunch one day, and he, he talked about that, yeah, when, when Jesus became a Christian, that's when things really started changing for everyone. You have to understand this. For a Jewish perspective, who is Jesus to them? That's a blonde-eyed, blue-eyed Jesus from New York, from Brooklyn, or from uh, Berlin, from Canada, whatever you want to throw into. In other words, to most Jewish people, Jesus is Gentile, that he changed Jewish to Christian. That's what they believe. It's an identity issue. And so you're having to work through some of these, these issues on that. The New Testament is a Gentile Bible. But i got a question for you. A lot of Christians think the same thing. We think the same thing. We, we treat Jesus as a Gentile Messiah. The Messiah is not Canadian. He's not from Argentina. He's not from South Africa, folks. Our Messiah is Jewish. All right? Very important. The Bible that we have here, the Old and New Testament, were written predominantly by who? Jewish people that God used. With the possible exception of Luke, we have a Jewish book. This is why we have to be very uh, entwined in this. We do serve the same God, but the conclusion is very different, and there's a parting of the ways, as we're seeing here. So then, how do we do this? I'm going to give you story number two. A few years ago, when I was working there at International Board of Jewish Missions, I was the tour guide of the museum, the Everlasting Museum. You guys have been there. And uh, there was a couple that came from Atlanta, and uh, they came and they visited, and uh, they, after going through the museum, I had a chance to talk with them a little bit more in depth. And this couple, the wife, her name was Joy, uh, she shared the reason why they stopped by. They were staying at a hotel that was right next door to the museum, and they saw our advertisement in the, in the hotel lobby. Joy explained that she was Jewish, and that her husband was a Christian. All right, that happens, all right, we see that. However, she was really troubled and confused because her adult son recently accepted Jesus as his Savior. But she was very troubled by that. How could he turn from what he had been brought up to? He brought up Jewish. That's, that's, the, that's Gentile, okay? And so he, she was really troubled. How could my son do this? So I asked her, could I read a few verses from the Bible to explain what happened to your son? I opened up Isaiah 53. I didn't tell her that. I just simply opened up Isaiah 53 in the Hebrew Bible. And I began reading. And after a few verses, she stopped me, and she accused me of reading the New Testament. And I said, no, this is from one of your prophets, Isaiah. And I was able to give her a Bible, one just like this, and encourage her to read Isaiah 53 again and then talk to her son. You see, for a lot of Jewish people, if you would read Isaiah 53 to them without them realizing it, they would think you're reading from the New Testament. Because it sounds and looks a lot like who? Jesus. He was pierced. He was bruised. He was tortured. He was, yeah, I mean, just really a lot's there. For us, it's like, it's, it's brilliant light, so we can see it. But for a lot of Jewish people, there's all these cultural barriers in the way. Very important to understand that. So here's the thing. Why are we studying Isaiah 53? Because there's a blessing associated with this. Remember when we talk about the Messiah, and this is where I want us to challenge not to read the Bible from Gentile eyes, read it through Jewish eyes. Because when we talk about Christ, what does Christ mean? Does anyone know? Jesus Christ. A lot of people, even Christians, think, oh, that's the, he was the son of Mr. and Mrs. Christ. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. A lot of people think that. A lot of Jewish people do. He's the son of Mr. and Mrs. Christ. Christ means what? Christos means anointed, which in the Old Testament you would call Mashiach or Messiah. Messiah is this. Jesus, when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah. 
He is the one who the prophets foretold of. Folks, I am a Christian because of what the Old Testament says. Think about that. We basically, oh, oh, we got the Romans road. Great. But you know what? The Romans road wouldn't be there unless we knew what happened from Genesis to Malachi. There's a reason why we have the Old Testament, folks. And so understand this, that the blessing of Isaiah 53 is really a key part to God's plan of redemption for Israel and of the world. Look with me in Isaiah 52, verse 15. It says, this is talking about the servant, verse 13. The servant shall sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut up their mouths at him for that which he had not been told them. And they shall see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. So talking about this is going to be a part of God's redemption for Israel and for the entire world. This servant, the suffering servant, would give his life as an atonement, as an offering for our sin and for our transgression. I'll be honest with you, when you talk to Jewish people, and you talk about, a lot of times we use terminology, sometimes I don't think we know what we mean. We talk about someone getting saved. For a Jewish person to be saved, say from hell, things like that, I mean that's important, But what resonates with him stronger is this, to be forgiven for our sins. Jesus died in our place so we can have forgiveness of our sins. And that's the only way we can be righteous with God, folks. Our righteousness, as Isaiah later says on, is as filthy rags. Okay? We need the righteousness of Christ. So that's one key blessing of that. Another Another blessing is this. It's a source of hope for the sinners to be forgiven, as we just mentioned. Look with me in Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin... And he shall see his seed and prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Okay, so this is another reason, a source of hope for sinners to be forgiven. Praise God for that. Another reason is simply for us to look to the Messiah and believe on him. Again, the point of Isaiah 53 is found in Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report? The thing is this, Jewish people through the centuries has not believed it. Jesus came to his, John says, Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. Jewish people as a whole have not accepted Jesus as the Messiah. In Israel today, less than 1% of the population of Israel claim to be believers of Jesus Christ, the Jewish population. Folks, there's a lot of work to do. But understand this, Jesus himself believed this, to look to the Messiah. Why? Jesus said, remember when he's talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, And he says, oh, you fools and slow of heart. Why don't you believe everything that the prophets have written concerning me? Of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. How that Christ must suffer. Jesus himself refers to Isaiah 53 that I am the fulfillment of that. And the disciples went on to preach that. So in understanding this, again as an introduction, the layout of Isaiah 53, starting in Isaiah 52 verse 13, to the end of Isaiah 53, there are... are, uh, five parts, and we're going to kind of go through them in the next couple weeks. Each of those five parts are three verses each, as we're going to look at. But Isaiah 53 is actually part of a greater part called the servant songs. There are four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9, and that's the servant introduced. Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 13, is the servant's work and success. Isaiah 50 is the servant's obedience. And then we have Isaiah 53 as the servant's suffering and triumph. 
What an amazing passage this is. And I pray that in our study, we're going to understand the life-changing power of this passage. Our lives will never be the same. My challenge is when we get to this passage, when we really start studying it and looking at it, this is a, a, a phrase that's been around for a while, that this, that we look at the plain text, the plain meaning of the text. When the plain sense, one, sent, one person said this, when the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, lest it results in nonsense. It's the saying been around for a while. So in other words, we're looking for the common sense of Scripture. We're looking what does face value, what does this passage say? That's our challenge as we go through the next few weeks. So think about this. I'm going to give you the third story. There was a friend of ours named Kim. Kim had many questions. She had just moved to Chattanooga from South Carolina, a Jewish lady. She had many questions about Christianity, and she came uh, to our mission board, first of all, and then eventually came to our local church for help. She came that service, and she heard the gospel for the very first time. She heard a good message of salvation. She was very troubled. She went outside weeping that, that Sunday. Gave her much to think about. Uh, a little bit later, my wife and I, we invited her over to our home. And Kim uh, spent time at our little kitchen table there. And we were talking with her, sharing the gospel, who Jesus is. And I had her open to this very passage of Isaiah 53. She looked at that, and her eyes just grew big and open for the first time. She read the precious truth that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of this passage. And I asked her a little bit later, says, Kim, was that the first time you read Isaiah 53? And she said, that's the first time I ever read the Bible. You have to understand this, that Jewish people, for the most part, they may have a Bible. They may have studied a little bit for their bar mitzvah. But for the most part, Jewish people do not, they're people of the book, but they really don't know the book. And so this is a challenge for us to get the word of God to them in their heart language as well, that they understand this. Very important. So here's a, a story on Kim. Four weeks later after that initial visit, Kim came forward, and she got wondrously saved. We talk about getting saved, but the idea is this. After she prayed, she, with tears in her eyes, she says, I'm clean, I am forgiven, I am a clean woman. The sins that she had committed are cast away. The Lord took care of it, because why? The Lord hath laid on him, the suffering servant, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all, including Kim. And he can do the same for every person, Jew or Gentile, who puts their faith and trust in him. Isaiah 53, the message is very simple. We did wrong, and the Messiah was punished for us. We sinned, he suffered. We deserve death, and the Messiah was crucified in our place. A perfect God took on the likeness of a servant in order to reveal himself to us as one of us. The word became flesh. He allowed us to humiliate him reject him and torture him to death in order to take our sins upon himself. This is the wonderful message of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. The suffering servant, the God who loves us and has done for us what we could never do ourselves. So I invite you, read the forbidden chapter. I believe it will become a blessed chapter. And it's a chapter that will change your life. If you're here today, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. I encourage you, do not leave today without without getting that settled in your own heart. Know that this Christ, the Messiah, of who we loudly proclaim, hallelujah, what a Savior, is the one who died in your place to forgive your sins and take your sin upon himself. And he did that for you and for me. What a tremendous passage. What a powerful passage. 
Again, let's take these words to heart. Again, if you're here today without Christ, before you leave, talk to me. Talk to someone. We'd be glad to show you from the Word of God how you can be saved. For those who are saved, may our hearts and lives be challenged to love our Savior even more, looking at what He did for us on the cross.